What's up, brother? And welcome to the Becoming Kings podcast. I'm Johnny King, and I'm a life enthusiast, growth mentor, and men's lifestyle fulfillment coach. I've dedicated my life to helping men who feel like they're just not living up to their full potential to level up and become the king of their kingdoms. So whether you've been feeling stuck or numb or extremely angry with not living up to your greatest potential in any area of your life, then I'll be in your ears every week dropping some truly transformative episodes to help you become a man that you're proud to be. I'm glad you're here. Let's get to it. Yo, what's up, everybody? It's Johnny, Johnny King with the Johnny King Show. Oh, man, I'm, I'm stoked to have Sam Gibbs Morris in the house all the way from Tulum. What's up, man? What's going on, brother? How you doing? Thanks for having good. me. Oh, man, so good to have you. Uh, we were chatting before I hit record here. You've got some epic trips coming up. Uh-huh. Or so you've been doing a, a ton of work. Um, crazy how much life has changed for you just in the last year since like COVID and everything else with relocating down south and i want to get into all the good stuff but thanks for being here i really appreciate you yeah man it's great to be here thanks thanks again yeah life is definitely uh i i don't know up leveled evolved yeah, yeah. accelerated all the yeah. things <laughs> tell tell the the listeners the viewers a little bit more about uh maybe your backstory and, and what kind of brought you even to where you're at living living from tulum mexico because it's so beautiful down there yeah thank you yeah um it is beautiful yeah and uh so i where do i start um that's a really <laughs> great question this is gonna be good so uh, i came down here in january and um i did 2021 yeah, yeah yeah and i i had i'd seen tulum on instagram and whatever else and like that place looks awesome i would love to go uh, i had never been to mexico and i literally went and i was in a part of ffs mastermind which is fit for service i'll be marcus does it Mm-hmm. And his challenge that week was to go into into the darkness. So either go into a very dark room or go into a float tank, something like that. And so it was a Saturday morning and I went into a float tank and like, it was just like this screaming voice almost was like, go to Tulum, go to Tulum. Like, why aren't you going to Tulum? Like, mm-hmm. and I had made up, like, I had this in my head that like, oh, that's something that I'll never reach. Like almost like a, a far flung dream. But I, but it, it was clear, like in that darkness that like, I don't have any reason not to go at this point. Mm-hmm. Like I have no, I can do what I do from anywhere. I've created this life of a digital nomad. And it's like, what am I doing? Just like anchoring myself to Austin. And not to say Austin's a bad place. It's not, it's amazing. But um, like, I just was like, I'm going to go. I got a one-way ticket on that afternoon and I was gone Monday morning. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's and amazing. so what, how this ties into my whole story is that when I got here, um, you know, at first there's like being in a foreign country, not really speaking the language. There's a bit of chaos, a little chaotic feeling. The cars get really close to each other here. Like it seems really overwhelming at first, but once that went away, like three or four days in, and I settled into like a routine and, and just being here and figuring out how the, the cadence of, of culture here and all that stuff goes, you know, I, I one thing the big thing that I noticed was that my central nervous system was just like maybe it like operates at like an 11 or a 12 in, in the United States, it was at like a three or a four. And far as like a fight or flight response kind of thing. And this wasn't noticeable. Like it wasn't like I was like hyper anxious or super out of control when I was in the United States. It was just like 
so 45 years is so used to that cadence and that that level of just intensity totally and i got here and it was like i felt like i could breathe i felt like a weight was lifted and i had just done i did a, a bufo ceremony on the beach with a buddy of mine that, that's down here that lives down here and he does that and i was standing in the water after the ceremony and i looked back at the shore and i was just like oh like something that I thought was just not possible for me for some reason is now happening. Like really ha like I'm here in Mexico looking at these palm trees and crystal clear Caribbean water, like just to the ceremony, like things are like, this is like amazing. And that was when it occurred to me that like, when I can like shut off that energetic, those energetic cords that I, and I had energetic cords of like addiction, childhood trauma, broken relationships, heartbreak, all these things like 45 years of living in the United States of like different places I've lived and things I had done a lot of healing and work from, but still they're there. And when I was able to separate myself from that, it was amazing. The clarity and the, like it was in that moment that I was in, in the water there, that my purpose, like my purpose, why I'm here and what, I, why I'm doing what I'm doing became clear to me. Mm. And it was, I'm here to help men heal from shit. They're scared to talk about bottom line. Like don't, don't try and romanticize it or, make it sexy for Instagram. Like, that's just it. Like, I'm just here to hold space for men to heal. And, and, you know, cause that's, what's been, that's, what's been provided to me. Yeah. And so now it's my job to turn around and do that. Not for just for other men that I'm talking to, but like for the generations before me and my family and my lineage and the generations to come, hmm. like, let, I want to make a huge impact. 1 billion human beings is my impact that I want to make. And hmm. I'm going to do that through working with these guys. And so, you know, as I got this clarity, like it became clear that like, and I had already done this, started this work, but like my childhood on the surface, like even I looked back at it for 35 or so years as like, that was amazing. Mm. Like growing up in Vermont, clean air, clean food, totally. like, all farm to table, like organic by default, like all these great things and playing tennis and golf every day, every summer, skiing in the mountains every winter, like going on trips to the Bahamas and New York city and DC and Boston yeah. and like Florida. Like, I mean, it was just amazing love in the household. Like not a lot of fighting parties all the time, but I was super sick. I had really, really bad asthma, really, really bad, like a long list of food and environmental allergies. Hmm. Um, I had a tendency to choke on my food all the time when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. So I had the high muck number down on me like five or six times as a kid. Mm -hmm. um, and so like that, I operated kind of not, not over that, but I just, in spite of that almost, like that was normal for me. Mm. Um, and that was, that, that was a core belief for me. And part of that core belief was I need to be saved, you know, like, because that was the only way I knew that I was going to survive was like, if, so if I'm eight years old and I have an asthma attack at two in the morning, not a lot I can do for myself at that point. Like I'm going to need someone to come save me, mom, dad, rush me to the hospital 45 minutes away and I'll be in the hospital for a week. And that happened four or five times a year. Whether it was an asthma attack or a or an allergic reaction, uh, and then the Heimlich maneuver was you know five or six times throughout my childhood, and so all this stuff like that I had not even acknowledged was all of a sudden coming to like coming back to roost, so to speak. You know, when I when I got older, when I got into my thirties, like it started it started showed up as addiction. It showed up as alcoholism and, and cocaine addiction, and it showed up as broken relationships. Because when I get in a relationship, I immediately say like if I'm with a girl. And we fall in love. Like, there's no question it's real love. However, subconsciously underlying that, that's a contract. We did, you did, that girl just signed a contract with me that says, 
you are now responsible for saving me. Whatever happens, whatever I do, if I get insecure, like whenever my shit comes up, you're responsible for saving me. And that, and that means like, and I've done some not so great things as a boyfriend that I subconsciously would expect saving from. And then the girl leaves. And so I don't feel saved. I feel abandoned, mm. which is like a fate worse than death. Right. Like that's the, for me, that's like the ultimate just jab in the heart. Like I'm going to die basically. And so that triggers depression and anxiety. Mm. And so, you know, growing up with all that stuff as a child, um, you know, I was very withdrawn. So I developed social anxiety. Uh, I felt a lot different than my peers, social anxiety. I was very quiet and protective. And, you know, there's a, there's a difference between vigilance and observance. And so as a child, I had to be very vigilant. Like I had, the world was a threat to me. People were threats to me. Um, food was a threat to me. Air was a threat to me. And so I had to be super vigilant about like the, my world around me, the people around me, what was going on. Like my radar was up all the time and so vigilance is fear-based that's a fear-based thing like i'm looking out for threats all the time mm -hmm. and then as i got older and as i started to get uh, after i got sober and i really started to dive into this work about my traumas and healing and all this stuff you know it became shifting out of vigilance and, and into observance where observance is a a love-based patient uh, you know take on the situation and curious curiosity right Curiosity. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like, okay. Like, and it's helpful to be, it, it's a heightened level of awareness, which I've, you know, this basically built into my DNA because of how I was right, how I grew up, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it, it, it went from being fear-based to like, I'm just here, I'm just witnessing. And that's a much better play. That's a fight or flight drops down a lot. And so, um, you know, over the course of my, the past eight or nine years, since I stopped drinking, you know, I've done a lot of work and gotten to the bottom of a lot of things. And it's really opened up a lot of freedom for me, a lot of freedom in like my own mind, my own body. Like I couldn't trust my body. Like that's what, that was one of the big things I took from being kid, a kid with that asthma and allergies is that like, if I go running around in the spring in Vermont, when the trees are blooming, 999 times out of a thousand, I'm probably going to get an asthma attack. Mm. Just a matter of when, not if. Mm. and so that, that and like or if i go to birthday parties and like there's a cake or cupcakes and they like you know there's a high probability again not if but when am i going to eat a peanut by accident mm. and like that's anaphylaxis so um i just had to i just had to like heal from all those things all that like that that state of being into like a more or less like awareness patient state of being See, what's fascinating about your story, and I, I resonate with it too, because I, I can look back at my childhood and say, yeah, I mean, it was, it was pretty good. There wasn't any sexual abuse or physical abuse. There wasn't. Mm -hmm. But then when you do start to get older and you start seeing patterns, you're like, oh, where is this coming from? You start to trace it back to the simplest of things, which similar to you, like I used to, there's a period where like I would kind of gag on every food I would eat because mm -hmm. I, I had a choking experience. You know, mm -hmm. and then I was almost so scared to swallow because I didn't want to choke. Then I'd yeah. force myself to choke, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but that that type of like uh, experience that you've had where, yeah, life on the outside and your parents could probably say, what happened to Sam? Like we gave him an amazing upbringing. Yep. But it's still showing that there's there's just no way to get through childhood. I don't feel like without having some sort of trauma, you it's know, so, it's, I'd say it's impossible. Yeah. <laughs> like and I, 
I can imagine just for you too. It's like being in an environment where just any environment seemed threatening. Like you said, you can't trust your body, right? Yeah. And like learning to trust my body has been uh, like, that's a self-love thing. Like, mm. you know, self, like when you can't trust your body, like, why would you love yourself? Right. Like, really, like, I can't, like, I, this body's going to just like, it's going to, you know, it's going to let me down. Like, what is there to love? Right. And so with that comes like shame and guilt about it all too. And like, that's a heavy one to carry with you, which recently I've actually like in the past couple of years, just started unpacking the shame and the guilt because that runs deep. Mm-hmm. You know? And so tell, tell the listeners a little bit more about how, like, what's the process for it? Cause I feel like shame for, especially for guys is so yeah. it's an undercurrent to like almost everything. How are you starting to process? Cause I think it's such a, a relevant topic for, for men these days. You know, compassion's huge. Like having compassion for yourself. Um, just understanding that like, you know, we all operate from our level of consciousness at the time that we op- that, that th- things happen. So if we have shame, like I had a lot of shame around my addiction. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of shame around being sick as a kid, which you could say I had no control over. I think I, I believe that I chose it because it was something that I needed as a kid to matter. And there's a story about my mom's pregnancy that relates to that, but you know, it's, it's having compassion for like what we had to do or what we decided was necessary to survive. Mm-hmm. And if that creates shame, you have to, you have to just face it, like, look at it, find a, find another guy, find a therapist, find a coach, find a, a mastermind, a retreat, something to do that you can say, like, I'm shameful about this. And then the other men or like, you can, you can feel safe in that because it's really a very unsafe feeling mm-hmm. to feel shame is like, I'm not good enough. I'm less than if I'm shameful about this, my wife is going to leave me. My boss is going to fire me. My friends are going to stop hanging out with me because that's weak. And so vulnerability and compassion and finding the safest place you can to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, when you, it's like training in a gym, like you train to get strong in a gym so that when you go out into the world, you don't have to worry about, you're not, you know, you can handle something cat- catastrophic happening or like if you need to get, pick up something heavy, you can do that. But you, you find that safe environment in the gym to do the reps and to lift the weights. And that way, when you go back out into the world, you're a better human being. Mm-hmm. And so with men, like doing men's work, like that's the thing, like men come to these men's retreats, whatever it is, sacred sons, whether it's working with Traver, like it, whatever it is, like we go to these safe environments so that we can process all this stuff and release it. Mm-hmm. Cause we hold on for like, I have a tattoo right here. that says, hold on. And it's uh it's not about holding on to stuff but like it, it's a reminder not to hold on to things really like mm-hmm. and it says let go over here but it's the same time like when we hold on to things because they're familiar shame and guilt for like a lot of us a lot of us men is like a familiar thing because honestly it if we're shameful and we feel guilty it makes other people see that and that means that oh he's shameful about what he did you're right i'm, I'm shameful i'm going to punish myself so it creates this cycle of just operating this shame and guilt behavior because part of it is we want to make like making amends or whatever it is. Like we think that like punishing ourselves and, and being shameful and feeling guilty all the time, taking on that other person's anger is, is being noble, is being a warrior. And it's not, it's mm. not, it's, it's killing us. Totally. Well, and I love the, the thought of like, yeah, when you let go, 
<laughs> you better hold on because it's like away you go. Oh, yeah. it's, it's it's like a roller coaster. Like yeah, there's you can go down the let go hold on conversation can <laughs> <Yeah>. go. <laughs> we can go for hours of just about that. Hundred percent, hundred percent. But I I do feel like you know Brene Brown talks uh, a lot about shame, obviously, and I love how she says. Uh, the shame really just that grows and breeds uh, on itself in secrecy. So I feel like a big part of what you're talking mm-hmm. about is, is men to acknowledge what they're ashamed of, you know, and having that safe place. Cause to your point, like, yeah, I can go to the gym and lift, but if I don't know what I'm doing, I'm going to hurt myself. Right. So there's, yeah. there's even something to be said about going to the gym and having a trainer, a spotter, someone who knows mm-hmm. what they're doing to the point of like, I'm just putting myself in the shoes of a guy that's listening who resonates already with your story needs some support. They, you know, it makes all the sense in the world to reach out to you because you're, you've already walked the walk. Right. And you can kind of help them stay in a place where they're safe while they're also processing a lot of this. You know, yeah. Great analogy. Like using that gym analogy, like you go to the gym to, to avoid being in a position in the real world where you're caught, with like having to pick up something too heavy and you throw your back out mm-hmm. and big guy, a big thing for the guys I work with. And I see a lot is anger. Mm-hmm. Like you come to the, do the men's work, come to get, let all that shame and guilt out so that you don't have to go. You don't end up being angry at your wife mm-hmm. because the, that lashing out with anger at like coworkers at wives, at the dog, at your kids, like with <laughs> yeah. friends, yeah. like that's not really anger. Anger doesn't really, anger very rarely really exists. Mm-hmm. It's grief, it's insecurity, it's fear, it's sh- gain, uh, shame, guilt. Like it's those things manifesting as anger being the easiest way out. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. if you can go to a place and handle all that stuff, the insecurities, the fear, the shame, the guilt, the overwhelm, yep. you won't be angry. Mm-hmm. The anger will be like, it, it won't exist. Like you, you'll be compassionate and, and soft and loving. Yeah, uh, I can only speak for myself uh, in the last six months and realizing how much anger, a lifetime of anger was boiling up and starting to boil over. Mm. What was underneath the, the, the anger was shame. It was a lack of, um, it was a lot of disappointment, sadness, loneliness, uh, mm. which when I started telling more and more guys, they're like, I totally feel the same thing, right? So you're, you're right, the, the anger is just that, Oh, that frustration with like, why am I, why is this feeling not going away? And why is, why aren't I as happy as I should be, you know? Yeah. Right. Or I can't appear scared. So I'll just get angry instead. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever the case and, might and be. And to hear another guy, like you just meant, you just touched on it. Like yeah. when the guy's like, I, Oh my God, I feel the same way. Like to have another guy look you in the eye and be like, I see you. Yeah. You're okay. Yeah. Like, I see you as a man to man. Like I see you that right. Those three words. I see you powerful mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i feel like too maybe to your point with sacred sons every man mankind project a bunch of yeah. the stuff that, that i've done too it's like it's it's different it's scary but it's completely different to do men's work than it is to do personal development work with women in the room i wouldn't oh. think that <laughs> right because i always have found comfort in my mom comfort mm. in the women comfort in the girlfriends the you know all all the women in my life it's actually why it's, it's my father wound, if you will, that made me go find the comfort in mama, you know, but to your point, like to find that sense of safety and security in a group of men was the most powerful thing that I've ever experienced, you know? So it's, it's, it's pretty cool. And I, you're, you're doing that in terms of what, in terms of masterminds or retreats, uh, yep. one-on-one coaching, group coaching. Tell me a little bit more about like, how, how is it that you're supporting men as you're also supporting yourself? 
Um, yeah. So, I mean, um, yeah, the, the, the self-work is, God, we, we so badly want to graduate. <laughs> I just, I, we, me personally, I really would love to graduate, but it's just not something you graduate from yeah, and that's true. okay. Like I actually, you know, once you start seeing the value in the work, mm-hmm. it's like, give me more, give me more. What, what else can I do? Like I'm going to Peru in uh, 10 days to do ayahuasca. Like, mm-hmm. give me more, give me more healing. Give me more, like, how can I uncover more about my past or what the, why I am the way I am? That's going to make me a better human being for mm-hmm. everybody, not just mm-hmm. for my clients, but for me, for my family, for future girlfriends, whatever it is, like, just make me like, how can I be a better human being? And then it stops being work and it starts being like, this is just the, my process. This is what yeah. I'm doing. Yeah. And it, it's just like the gym. Like, I don't like, I really don't like going to the gym, but I know for a fact at every single time I don't want to go to the gym and I go to the gym better always better never fails never fails same thing with this stuff so what i do is i offer one-on-one coaching um that's a pretty high touch point it's pretty intense work um i i ask quite a bit of the guys that i work with but it's very very um it's it's very profound uh to see these guys break through like they do like with these things that i have them do and Mm -hmm. it's a 90-day program it's 90-day increments usually usually guys end up doing six or nine months Mm -hmm. but um to see the the growth that these guys have and it was a side touch point um pretty intense work i mean not to say like you're all you're doing is my work but like it's real time it's real time life adjustments real time coaching in like what's going on how you got here like why, again, why you are the way you are, what, what led to that? And then what's stopping you from being the guy you want to be? Like, I, I look at that as like, and all my, a lot of my coaching comes down to this as a glass wall. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the guys I work with and me personally too, like I had reached this pinnacle, this like top of a mountain, so to speak. And I was like, Oh, look, got the top of the mountain, making money, got relationships, got all the things. And then I, I see this beautiful, like oasis in front of me that I want to just like go lay on the beach and enjoy. And I go to step and I smacked my face into a glass wall that I didn't mm-hmm. see. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, whoa, what, what was that? Like, I can't, seem, I can't seem to get to that. It's because the things we don't know about are still holding us back. Like, you can do all the work and all the healing, but until you can tap into the things you don't know about, mm. you're going to keep hitting that glass wall. And there's no way around it, over it, or under it. you mm. got to just do whatever it is. got to find out what's fueling that, supporting that glass wall. And and then once you do that, that the wall will melt away and you can step into whatever life you want. So one-on-one coaching, high touch point, 90 days. The group coaching is a, I have a nine-week program that I run guys through. And then on the back end of that, there's an offer for the one-on-one. Also a mastermind, which is a monthly thing. Uh, It's called the Conscious Warrior Brotherhood. And then I do um, retreats that I'm building, um, it's called surrender retreats. So uh, one of the big lessons for me over the past really six months has been surrender. Mm. And so uh, I had a really profound experience with some plant medicine back in December. And like this, this word surrender just would not, it hasn't left my head, head since. Right. And so I went, I had so much so that I went online and tried to buy surrender.com. Mm-hmm. And of course it wasn't available, but what was available was S-U-R-R-E-N-D, no E-R. So surrender with no E at the end. And I was like, well, I guess I'll get that. And then I thought about it and I'm like, that's perfect because the last thing that needs to go for you to fully surrender and be happy really and feel the freedom you want because all the fighting you're doing is keeping you from that. Like mm-hmm. you're fighting to be happy, you're keeping yourself from happiness. You're fighting for freedom, you're keeping yourself from freedom. 
you got to let go of your ego. So you got to drop that last, the last thing to go is the ego, that last thing. Yeah. So surrender retreats, uh, those those are going to be happening. Um, I I'm looking at starting in 2022, five times a year. Mm. I have one coming up in September here in Tulum. Um, it's going to be the first one, the the launch, which is going to be amazing. Cool. And then, um, yeah, so I got the, the one-on-one, the group, the group program, uh, the mastermind, which is the, uh, kind of a, a, an evolution of the group, and then the, the retreats that are going to be offering. Amazing. Amazing. It's, it's something you said uh, a few minutes back, though, made me think of the movie The Matrix. I'm, a, I'm assuming most people have seen it, but it's like, it's almost like you, you were Neo in the sense of like, it's super scary to choose out of The Matrix. But once you did, it's like you were plugged in and downloading you know, just give me more, give me more, give me more, mm-hmm. you know? And like, just, yeah. and I think that's something that guys, if guys really realize that if you, again, surrender to the fact that you, you know, again, let, let the ego go that you don't know everything. Right. Yeah. And that maybe you are a little wounded and that's okay. That doesn't make mm-hmm. you, in fact, we're all wounded, but if you actually just kind of relinquish control of your life, man, it actually gets really exciting. It's not easy. Don't get me wrong. You know, like you're, you're going to go to ayahuasca for 21 days. Like that shit is going to be like a marathon, you know, on yeah. a daily basis. Um, but still it's worth it. And it's, it's interesting. I think anyone who's listening to something like this is going to f- resonate with you because they, they want more of that too, you know? So okay. it sounds like you're, you're offering a lot of cool opportunities with the, with the various offerings that you've got in your, your business to guys to meet them wherever they're at. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like it's just amplify the impact, right? Mm-hmm. Like just like the more I, I, I want to make, you know, happier wives and children and happier parents. And, and again, like if I can affect impact these guys, like one guy, you know, I immediately can probably touch five or six people just by making him better. His world gets better mm-hmm. and, he, and he's happier because you know, it's, we're all connection based creatures like organisms mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. so it's it's really about like just again meeting them where, meeting them where they're at whatever they can do to drop in and, and feel safe and just start the healing process yeah yeah just start absolutely. somewhere you mentioned uh earlier too just a little bit more about like the the cords that we have attached maybe mm-hmm. to our childhood like emotional cords is that what you're referring to energetic cords yeah energetic like cords. the things that the things that we attach to whether that's like you know that's guilt shame and that's like and it's not and the thing is is that once you realize that once you can like step out of those cords and realize like that's not my shame mm-hmm. that's not my guilt mm-hmm. like maybe that shame was my parents because of the way i behaved when i was an addict looked bad on them and they're shameful and they so i'm taking that on and trying to or it could be a girlfriend it could be anybody else like but we tend to take it on because we attach to that energetic cord and that makes us feel like we matter. And so, yeah, like just bad memories of places I've lived and relationships and like, just, you know, those dirty, dirtied up energetic cords that just, they, they're so hard to cut because they're so familiar. They feel good. Like an energetic cord to an ex-girlfriend, for example, would be like, feels like hanging on to hope, Yeah. but it's really not mm. like, you're just, you're just energetically, you're wrapped up in the theory of, or the, the, the bullshit that happened in the relationship. And like that can be, and again, this goes back to like familiarity versus happiness. Familiarity is not happiness. Familiar is just familiar and familiar can be happy. Like I'm familiar in my apartment and I'm happy there. But like when you're familiar in chaos or when you're familiar in depression or anxiety or fear or anger, 
Like we're going to default to that until you can find out the roots of why that's there. And those are the chords. Like a lot of those things are chords mm-hmm. and they just need to be cut and cl- or cut or, I mean, cleaned up really. Like you can clean them up. You don't have to cut them, but some, some need to be cut. Some can be cleaned up. hundred percent, hundred percent. And I think you're right. I, I did uh, a retreat a couple of years ago and we, we were given time each afternoon to kind of go out into the wilderness and really focus on and, and pray towards just cutting those emotional ties, you know, mm-hmm. um, and from, from all past relationships, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's pretty powerful. Why don't, why don't we jump into that a little bit too? Because I feel like that's so, uh, so relevant for, for anyone that's been in relationship with anyone else, uh, male or female, it's like, mm-hmm. what are the things that you've learned and how have you seen your trauma you know, affect your relationships. Because I think just like you, some of the biggest challenges in my life has been um, both the romantic and the, and even the ones with my mom, when she passed away, it's, it's losing those relationships that have hurt the most, you know? So yeah. how, how have you worked through some of that disappointment? And I, I like that you brought up both death and heartbreak in the same yeah. conversation, because, um, you know, I'll say, I, I firmly believe that death is easier than heartbreak. Mm. death with death like as painful as it is like there's no way around death is there's a grieving process and it Mm -hmm. it, it hurts and Mm -hmm. but there's like you don't have a choice like that's boom closure there's closure you you, yeah yeah, you get like that's it it's Mm -hmm. over like you either you know you can stay and grieve and and be there and and do that for a while but you know there's no there's no going back from that and it's there's Mm -hmm. the finality there allows healing from for me from my experience i've lost my dad I lost my dad in 2015 to heart failure and I lost my sister in 2018 to alcoholism. Mm. And both times um, it was very, not, I'm not going to say it was easy to get over. It wasn't like that never, never is easy. But like when you can get into like the finality of it and just, it turns into like, I'm grieving to I'm honoring. Mm -hmm. You know, like the best thing I can do now is like, I can grieve all I want, but really like the, the real healing begins when you start to like, with my dad, for example, like I, I've noticed pretty quickly when he passed away that like, I used to call him for advice, be like, Hey, I'm going to think about buying a car. What do you suggest I do? Or like, you know, I'm buying a house, like what up? these things that like dad advice that, yep. you know, dad yep. wisdom. And like, and I would have to like call him up. Oh, I missed the call. Leave your voice. Like, give me a call back. I'm thinking about buying this car. And then like, you know, two or three days goes by and like, we're going back and forth in these voicemails because it's hard to get a hold of people. Mm-hmm. But like when he passed away, it was like, he was there like that. Like it wasn't, I didn't have to make a phone call. Like I knew intuitively, like all his downloads, all his information that he'd given mm. me was there mm. because I didn't have the fallback. The finality of it was I didn't have that crutch to rely on, but I knew what he would, I, I knew what he was going to say on the phone anyways. Mm. I just wanted to hear him say it. And now mm-hmm. I get to the point where like I can operate with his knowledge and wisdom, but I don't have to wait to hear him say it. Mm-hmm. And so like, there's that, that level of connection increases with that, with death, within that finality. And that's, you know, taking whatever that person taught you and the love that the person shared for you and bring it with you, honor them. And that's, I mean, so death is a little tangent there about death, but, um, you know, well, heartbreak- let, me, let me jump on that too, real quick, before you jump into heartbreak, yeah. I, I think it's, it's good. And I'm thinking about it in terms of my relationship with my mom as well. And maybe with you, it's like, it gave you permission. Cause it's, if, if I can only imagine if you were, if you were growing up and often feeling like you had to be saved, right. 
So maybe it's part of that validation of like, dad, am I, you know, just make sure save me if I'm going to make a mistake here. And now it's like, you know what? I know what he's going to say. And that allowed you to maybe step even more into your, your masculine power perhaps. Right. Yeah, absolutely. A big, that's, I think that's a, a big part of that with, uh, with my mom too, but I think you're right in terms of the finality of it too, in the sense of, yeah, there is, <laughs> it really comes back to, again, surrendering and letting go. You don't have a choice. Like they're gone. Right. The breakup, let's, as we move into the heartbreak conversation to me, when I got divorced, it was so challenging because I kept seeing her, we were sharing the dog. I was still hoping for a reconciliation. You know, I was so codependent and that was just making it so much worse on myself, you know, but talking more about the, the heartbreak. Yeah. How, how is that? So heartbreak has been one of my greatest teachers for sure. Um, you know, I've been through it uh, four or five times, like yeah. le- legit, like painful, really like painful depression and yeah. in- inducing heartbreaks. Mm. And the last one was the biggest lesson in the teacher for me. It happened in uh, 2019. Mm. Um, I went, I went down for, I went to LA. I was living in the Bay area and I went to LA for a retreat, uh, work retreat down there. And I came back early on a Saturday I usually would stay till Sunday and kind of just have fun in LA, but I came back on a Saturday and I get home and, you know, we had been having problems for a while. And I said to myself on the trip home, I said, I'm going to let go of all this like angst and like worrying about she's going to leave me and all this. And just, you know what, if she's going to leave me, she'll tell me that's it. I'm just going to, from this moment on, I'm operating in that way. And I get home, I walk into her house to pick up. She had, she was, we had a dog together and she was, she was watching the dog. We, We didn't live together. And uh, she sits me down. She's like, I don't want to do this anymore. So I like, I, I, I let go and like surrendered and then got my answer about four hours later. Wow. But, you know, as much as we were having problems, like it still wasn't easy at all. Like it was, uh, she, she was, it was awesome. Like we had a great relationship and, you know, there was things happening again. It was just a, a deterioration of relationship and just go, you know, what, you know, all the things that were happening. Mm. And so, um, you know, it was one of those things where I immediately recognized this feeling of like panic, abandonment, fear. Um, I'm never going to be another girl again. Mm-hmm. All these things like these, these are familiar, very familiar feelings rushing in. And honestly, how I was showing up in that relationship was also familiar. Insecure, running, closed off, um, tendency to reject. Mm-hmm. Like these things, basically my little protection devices that I'm using but they, in a relationship, they show up as those things. Mm-hmm. So she feels rejected and she feels, you know, I'm not there. I'm not present. So all this stuff. And so um, I felt all these things and I like immediately went and I called some buddies and I'm like, you know, I just, she broke up with me. And like, I'm, I just said, I'm like, I am so fucking bad at heartbreak. Like this, like, I'm, and I, and I don't know why I keep finding myself here. I don't know why this keeps happening to me. It's, I think mm. what I said to one of my buddies mm. and uh, this was at, an, I went down to LA again for a different retreat and it was in a men's group. And, uh, and one of the facilitators, my buddy said to me, he's like, well, you, that's the problem right there is like, you're asking yourself why this keeps happening to you. Have you ever gotten to the point inside of you where you, that keeps allowing this to happen? And I was like, Oh, like I was deep in the, I was just like a month out. So I was like still spinning yeah. and I looked at my buddy. I was like, bro, like kick me, kick me when I'm down. Yeah. But at the same time, like, that's what I was there for. Like, that's what I'd asked for. Mm-hmm. And so that triggered me into like finally getting to the bottom of my story about being saved. 
that's where it really like I that's where I that was kind of like the last thing I was holding on to the last little like the last the last thing that story was holding on to like I had saved myself from addiction and gotten sober and I was saving myself in other ways but this one little last hook was right there and it was just this was the moment that it was showing me like if you want to get rid of this like now is the time so usually like the the heartbreak would take me like years to get over like I mean three years is like my cycle and so uh this time i got over it in like five months mm. because i was finally i finally was like wow like i expected her to save me mm. like I, I i was there because i loved her and she loved me but like subconsciously like i was expecting saving yeah like i was like so i i would i go for my i went from my parents saving me to tennis mm. i played tennis all through college saving me alcohol and drugs saving me women saving me and then so like the, this was the last one and so the heartbreak was so brutal in this one like i went through a week where it was like actually nine days where i didn't sleep not a wink and it was like i was just i was seeing i went to my therapist's office and i looked through the wall and i was like are there designs on that wall he's like no he's like you need to sleep man <laughs> so like th- this is what heartbreak does to me and like it, it and then finally i was finally in a place where I was ready to like be done with it. Like, I'm tired of, I don't want to feel like this anymore. Like, why does this keep happening to me? Okay, why does it keep happening to you? Because you keep allowing it to happen. Mm-hmm. Because you keep going into these relationships with them saving you in mind. What's in it for me? Mm-hmm. You know, like all these like twisted little like subcontracts that Getting happen. Yeah, behind I love you, there's like all these twisted little things happening. Because mm-hmm. honestly, from my childhood, one of the traumas was the connection of saving to love. So I basically, like when I say that, when I said earlier that like, I believe I created asthma, I created allergies, I created the choking, I manifested the chaos in my life yeah. to be saved because that was proof of love for me. Mm. That was how I mattered. Mm-hmm. So if I wasn't needing saving, like, whoa, like, do I even matter? Do I, like, why am I even here? Like, if you don't need to save me, like, and that's destructive just at its core. Totally. Like, there's just no way around that. Totally. And so finally i saw a uh two things about this last heartbreak um kind of just like signs or whatever you want to call them but like the day after it happened so saturday it happened sunday like we and we we didn't really break up we were kind of like she's like i need some space and like you know the typical like drawn out breakup thing and so sunday i go into starbucks to do a little bit of work and i see this lady with a hat and said uh i think it said um love will find a way and so I, I, uh, it's still burning in my head, my eyes right now. And I'm like, oh, great. Like, we're going to get back together. Like, our love will find a way. Totally. And no, what that hat was telling me is that, Sam, go back to self-love. Rekindle your self-love. Because uh-huh. I had done all that work around self-love when I got sober. Amen. And I just, I let it fall away because I put all my saving into this girl. Mm-hmm. So I stopped being responsible for myself. And so that hat flipped its meaning later on to like love your self-love will, will find a way, not you, the love with her. Mm. And then the second thing was, is that there's a quote that I heard years ago and it, it showed up again in my life. And it was, uh, if it broke your heart, but opened your eyes, that's a win. And I got like, that was the immediate, that was the switch from like, I'm deep in this heartbreak to like, I have gratitude for this heartbreak because my eyes were being opened hundred percent. Like that was the, that was one of the biggest catalysts of my entire life was that heartbreak because it opened my eyes to all those, that story, whether it was a girl or not, like it was going to, it was going to manifest itself again at some point. 
Like there was no way I was getting out of that story until I said, this is my story and I need to fix it. I need to not rewrite it. I mean, erase that one and write a whole damn new one. I would, I would say if I could, uh, <laughs> if this was like a, a sermon, I'd be like, praise Jesus. Amen. You know, I'm, I'm like, I'm like keeping myself from like, yes, yes. I'm here, sitting here snapping to everything that you said. I think, uh, I love that. If it, if it, if it broke your heart, open your eyes, it's a win. And that's certainly what I went through with my divorce for sure. Cause I was similarly like, Oh no, love, love will conquer. Uh, and little did I know how much I was using, um, you know, the validation from women to, to create validation and, and significance, you know, um, yeah. You said something else though that I think is so so powerful, and I think uh, a lot of guys should should connect with it. I hope they didn't uh, miss it. But you talked about um, how you kind of felt like you were creating the asthma, creating the because you know when I when I've heard Tony Robbins talk about you know we have six human needs and one of them being the need for significance and that we 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 fulfill our needs. Uh, especially like significance and love and certainty, we, we, we fulfill those in, in empowering or disempowering ways. And you didn't even realize, it sounds like, that you were creating significant significance by like almost manifesting, you know, your allergies or, or things that were wrong with you so that you got attention, right? And yeah. that's, they saved you and it validated that, you know, and, and so much of this, I feel like that men need to work on and you've done such a, an amazing job grabbing the bull by the horns is like taking ownership of, I have to save myself. I have Mm -hmm. to, it has to come from the inside versus always looking for the answers outside. Right. So, so if guys are coming to you to work with you as a coach thinking that, all right, Sam, fix me, man, I'm, I'm all fucked (laughs) up, you know, but save me. And I've gotten that too from clients. I'm like, it's, I can help you. I'm I'm a guide. I can be your Yoda but I'm yeah. not going to, I'm not going to help you do the work. You have to do the work. Right. So yeah, it sounds yeah. like you really confronted that yourself too. It's ownership, man. You got to yeah. take ownership, like extreme yeah. radical blistering ownership of yeah. all of it. Right. Like all of it, like without taking responsibility. If I, if I remain in like, Oh, I was born with asthma for me. Yeah. No, like that's going to, st- that's not ever going to heal mm. because that will always be an easy default. But if I say no, like, I had some sort somewhere along the way, my soul decided that in order to be significant, I have to be in chaos or destruction. Like I need to create significance Mm -hmm. and I can't, and it's not going to be like, so for the first 15 years of my life or so, or probably 10 years of my life, it was the asthma allergies. And then I found tennis and tennis became my significance. And that's why Mm -hmm. it was so easy for me to look at my childhood as amazing because I was, I found something else and tennis fell away. All that stuff that I operated over came back. Mm, mm. You just found something else, another crutch. Yeah. And basically tennis was as great as it was for me. And I love it. It's my first love. It was a bandaid. It was a bandaid on a bullet hole for me. Uh, fascinating though. If you think about so, there's so many people that I can think of that are really, really good at what they do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yet to your point, it really is just a really, you know, <laughs> fancy looking coping mechanism that has, yeah. that, that, that they've poured themselves all into because it's their way of finding, like you said, significance, you know, Tiger Woods, for instance, like <laughs> if you watch that documentary, man, like, dude, the oh, yeah. dude is amazing. And yet so much of that is tied to the dysfunction of his relationship with his father, you know? Oh, yeah. So it's, it's interesting, really, really interesting that you mentioned that. Um, and I think a lot of guys could probably be like, 
uh, the, yeah, I can, I can just see or hear the wheels turning as they're listening to this being like, I wonder, yeah, I wonder if what I'm really good at, it's almost like the, the, again, the whole idea of the mess becoming your message, you know, mm. and it's, it's our woundedness that really can ultimately drive us in our passion. Right. Yeah. But uh, you have to be really careful that we don't create our identities around money, being successful at work, all the things yeah. that are outside of us, right? Yeah. yeah I think that's uh, I think that's why quarantine was hard for a lot of guys. Oh, myself because they, they, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, uh, it was great for me. But I mean, I, I, I had a lot of growth happen. But I mean, I was yeah. just for many other reasons. But yeah, um, I think a lot of guys had their identity wrapped up in like, I go to this job, I'm a CEO, I'm a lawyer, I'm a partner whatever it is, they, they go to work every day and they dress up in a suit and like this identity is in that. And then that got ripped away from them in a matter of a week. Mm-hmm. And it's like, um, what do I like? Oh, my wife is going to leave me. I'm going to get fired. Like, this is weird. Like, mm-hmm. and it's a lot of that stuff. Like it's a lot of that. That's like, well, I did all this for 20, 25 years. Now I'm not doing that anymore. Like, wh- who am I? Mm-hmm. Like, wh- what, what's my purpose? Like, where's my fulfillment? And it was a, I think, I think it, it's, it's, it shifted into being a wake up call for a lot of people. But I think that was the initial response was that like, oh shit. I mean, you saw a mental health spike, a mental illness spike when quarantine hit. Mm-hmm. We're going crazy, like mm-hmm. flipping, like going off on their wives and coworkers and freaking out on zoom and like people couldn't handle it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, um, changing the directions a little bit. I mean, but it's kind of maybe on the same topics in, in many ways you've, for those that are watching the video on YouTube, uh, you can see that you've got a lot of pretty pretty cool looking tattoos. But for those that are listening, uh, Sam's got a lot of tattoos on his neck, on his chest, on his arms. What, of all the ones that you have, is there one or a couple that are most significant to you? Wow, that's a great question. Um, uh, you know, I think the thing about the tattoos is I would say the hold on and let go are pretty significant mm-hmm. just because it's like real easy to get lost in the middle there. But the thing about the tattoos is, is that they, they tell a story because about where I was in life, you know, mm-hmm. what I was doing, like a couple of them are cover-ups. you know, like there's a real journey to a tattoo, like being tattooed. And I didn't start until I was probably 10 years ago when I was 35 or 36. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I'm, I always say, I'm so thankful I waited because if I had gotten started getting tattooed. like i see guys these days or kids these days like 18 19 full sleeves body i'm like that's i, I for me personally yeah. there's no way that anything about my world when i was 18 is the same as it is now <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know i just didn't i didn't and i got a tattoo when i was 18 and it sure it sure shit got covered up because it was just like that, why did I even get that? Like, yeah. what, what, what was I? I don't even know what I was thinking. But well, it's like wearing what you wore in high school and never changing. Never changing. Yeah. Boot, cut, boot cut jeans forever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Totally. So you know, like a lot of the like a lot of these tattoos do have significance. Uh, they they meant a lot to me at the time I got them, and I can yeah. look back and say like take lessons from them all. I've gotten away from the significance kind of, and I've just gotten into like cool looking stuff. Yeah. I've only got a little bit of real estate left, so <laughs> yeah. I kind of got to like, I got to be real thoughtful about what I'm yeah, doing. Yeah. Well, you've got out. your face, you've got your head. Yeah. I could go Mike Tyson. Yeah, you could, you could. Um, uh, another, another thing I wanted to kind of touch upon you, you mentioned uh, before we started recording, just the whole topic of like saving yourself, why you can't afford to settle at hope yeah. any longer. Can you, can you expand on that whole idea? 
Yes, I could. Uh, I would love to. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so hope is, first of all, let me just say hope is useful. Yeah. Hope, there's a purpose for hope. And that is like when you're in that darkness, whether that's depression, addiction, fear, anger, heartbreak, whatever it is, when you're in that darkness and you get that, and they call it a glimmer of hope, that glimmer mm. of hope, that's all that, that's enough. Because mm. that glimmer of hope will sh- ideally tricks you, it triggers you into action. And now when, when it comes to taking action, you have to believe in yourself to take the action. If you don't believe you can do anything, you're never going to take action. And, but, and hoping, hoping is very comfortable. It's romantic. It's sexy. Like people love to talk about hope. Yep. However, it's bliss. You know, it, it's easy to settle at hope because hope, hope and worry both have a, have a, like a physiological effect that they think make you think you're doing something about a problem, a situation, and a goal like if i yeah. i hope i get that job or i worry i'm gonna get fired like yeah there's no difference between that energy at all right except the two words and so but people will like the more they, they feel that's why people will get in these cycles of worry is because it feels good to worry mm-hmm. i'm actually i'm worrying like i'm doing mm-hmm. something about my problem I'm like no you're not you're just worrying mm-hmm. hope like i'm hoping like i'm 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 hoping like that i fall in love or that my girlfriend doesn't leave me or that like I'm not depressed tomorrow, but like, yeah. you're not doing anything. You're yeah. just hoping. Yeah. And so I look at it like hope and worry or we'll stick with hope, but hope is a rocking chair. Like you're sitting there on the porch and you're moving, you know, you're, you're doing something, you're rocking back and forth, but you're not advancing at all. Mm-hmm. Like there's no advancement there. So you can sit there and rock away all you want. But like, as I always say, like rock away on the porch, the world is just passing you by. Mm-hmm. Like there's people out there doing things. And so you have to be able to shift from hope into action and that action will not take hold unless you believe in yourself Mm -hmm. and so and the question to ask yourself to believe in yourself is your if you don't believe in yourself you need to shift and say okay where don't i love myself Mm -hmm. because belief the 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 thing that fuels belief is self-love and from self-love comes discipline and accountability accountability and discipline get vilified like oh discipline it must be awful to be disciplined like you know, Come on, live a little. Drill, drill, yeah, exactly. Drill sergeant. But yeah. really, discipline, when you can shift it, discipline is nothing more than self love. Mm-hmm. Like, do you love yourself enough to do the right thing for yourself? Do you love mm-hmm. yourself enough to be disciplined to get up in the morning and meditate? Do you, do you love yourself enough to be disciplined to not eat 10 cupcakes on a Wednesday night? Mm-hmm. You know, self love, some nights, self love is eating 10 cupcake, cupcakes. Yeah. <laughs> Most nights it's not right. Right. <laughs> There's a time and a place, but like when you can shift, like when you can just like anchor your discipline and self-love discipline, dis- discipline fuels action. And so when you can get out of hope and into action, but as long as you, that's when things start to happen. But as long as you stay hoping, nothing is going to happen. I, I would go to rehab and all the time, like, I hope this works for me. I hope it works this time. I hope it, it wasn't. Yeah. It just nothing ever worked because it was right. just, I was just hoping I was rocking away. I wasn't doing anything. Mm. So finally, you know, when, when you want, when it's time to do something, action, just action based in belief, which is based in self-love. Mm-hmm. And if I hear you correctly, it's like, it's, it's also creating a greater sense of certainty, you know, a yeah. greater, like, yes, I'm going to do this. I'm going, I'm going to rehab and I'm going to turn this ship around versus yeah. fingers crossed. Yeah. If you have the belief, if you really, really have the belief not much can stop you. Yeah. Not much. And so one, one of the best like filters slash questions, I have yeah. one that I, that I have. 
and I, re- I read one in a book called Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends Upon It mm. by Kamal Ravikant. And it's mm. uh, in any moment that you're doubting, ask yourself, what would I do if I really loved myself right now? Mm. Mm. So and emphasize the word really, because if you're doubting, you're not really loving yourself. You're, you're, but if you really loved yourself, what would you do? And it's once you ask that question, the answer becomes clear like that. Mm. Because it's like flipping a coin. They always say like when you're confused about two things, flip a coin. Like you'll know when you flip that coin, what you really want to do, because you'll be like, I hope it's heads, yeah. <laughs> you know, like it gives yeah. you immediate and immediate feedback. Mm. And so my thing about the hope and belief is, um, do you love yourself enough to stop settling for hope and start believing in yourself? Mm. Mm. I love that. I, I, <clears throat> I think I've lived a lot of my life in this area of doubt, you know, mm-hmm. doubt, hope. Uh, now I notice as, as like a type A individual, I find myself being confused a lot. It's just like, ah, oh, if I just, if I just knew to, to your point though, and going back to our conversation about death and surrender and letting go and holding on, it's like the whole conversation of like, sometimes we just need to get an action. Even, even if you just choose and you realize that's a dead end, well, then mm-hmm. now, you know, you can go back to <laughs> that fork and road and go yeah. the other direction rather yeah, than yeah. sitting at the other. I'm like, gosh, I go left or right. I don't know. I'm going to think about it and just hope that someone's going to save me and tell me which yeah. direction to go, you know? Yeah. I so, um, the only bad action is inaction. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, amen to that. One, one of the, the last things I want to ask you before we kind of wrap things up is you, you mentioned, um, having that moment of just being like, Oh my God, I, I, a dream that was once mine is now, I'm living it where I'm looking back at this turquoise water, the palm trees. I'm, I'm standing yeah. in this beautiful, like, but you said you had done a, what type of ceremony just then? Uh, Bufo. What's so Bufo? 5-MeO DMT. Okay. It's from a, there's a toad that lives in the Sonoran desert that actually, okay. I think it lives under underground in the mud for like nine or 11 months a year. Wow. And then it comes out and it secretes the venom from its gland. And then the, the, the Siri Indians, uh, they har- harvest the venom. Um, no harm to the toad, but they take the venom and they and it crystallizes, and then you you smoke it. You take one massive hit of this this uh, Bufo Alvarius mm-hmm. DMT, mm-hmm. and then you just lay back. And let me just say, the most life changing experience I've ever had. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard it's like strapping yourself onto a, a rocket and just yeah, they, they call it, they call yeah they call it blasting off yeah yeah it, yeah. It's, yeah you you blast off when you come back you are a different person like mm. that was my first thought when I did it the first time was like life will never be the same mm. like that's it like mm. this is a for, I'm forever changed by this mm. for the better. Yeah, this this has been uh, especially with like mushrooms and psychedelics being you know um, what do you call it. Uh, de- yeah, le- decriminalized. decriminalized here in Colorado, especially too. And you see, we're seeing it more and more throughout the U S um, just, just the whole topic of psychedelics. And I know it's been out there with Aubrey Marcus and a lot of guys have been talking about it for a long time, but um, I think it's interesting because for me, having grown up without a whole lot of substance usage at all, mm-hmm. I found that my analytical brain and my just, just my consciousness was such a place of safety. I had to have control of everything and just yeah. dabbling a little bit here and there, even if it's just with pot 
it's like that that was so scary to me to even think about letting my mind go yeah where was it gonna go i i don't know what was <laughs> the darkness you know yep, and that yeah, was yeah, super yeah. scary um i want to have you back on when after on the other side of your 21 days you know yeah uh, man, let's do it because i've never done ayahuasca either but uh certainly there's a lot i mean i have this type of conversation with guys all the time here in denver at least and online about uh psychedelics and, and various things and as as a tool right to, to work yeah. with trauma and to get over addiction and i've heard yeah it's you know, simply it's a, without so you have to do there's everyone talks about integration after the a psychedelic journey which is great excuse me but i i was brought to my attention that there's two there's actually two things one is an integration which integration is like integrating new behaviors act doing things differently mm-hmm. acting differently like taking what you learned in that ceremony and actually doing it in your life and then there's this the kind of like evolution of that is once you integrate you start to incorporate so incorporate the root word of incorporate is in corpus which is in corpse which is in body so once you integrate the behaviors the next thing is like embodying the new version embodying everything and so that was a real that, that kind of like was a massive learning experience for me as far as like shifting from you know, just doing things to like actually being in the embodiment of those things. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's powerful. Well, we'll, we'll spend another hour talking about <laughs> yeah. deep on a bunch of that stuff. Cause I'm sure you could enlighten me in a massive way. Um, but maybe we'll do it after you get back from Peru. So, yeah. but Hey man, um, if people want to connect with you, talk about coaching or just pick your brain, follow yeah. you, where, where's, what's the best way to kind of get in touch with you or, or follow you? Uh, on it, yeah. Instagram is the best way. It's at Sam Gibbs Morris. That's S A M G I B B S M O R R I S. LinkedIn. I'm I'm kind of active on LinkedIn too. I, I post a lot of stuff there. You can reach me there. Instagram um, email is connect at samgibbsmorris.com. And yeah, reach out for um, struggles if you just want to take your life to the next level. Psychedelic integration, whatever you. Whatever is going on for you at the time, whatever's live for you, just I'm, I'm here for it. Oh, amazing. A wealth of knowledge, man. I'm, I'm just grateful to have crossed paths with you and, um, you know, exciting just to, to hear about your journey, but then to have been following you on also social media for a while. It's, it's just cool to be, like I said, in uh, rubbing elbows with guys that are doing the work and coming from, like you said, from kind of <laughs> light into the dark, back into the light you know, yeah. shows what's possible. It's just, uh, it's inspiring, man. So thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, brother. I see you too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hey guys, thank you for listening. Thanks for watching. Uh, I really hope you, you reach out and, uh, connect with Sam or at least follow him on his Instagram and, uh, on LinkedIn, see what he's up to. Cause the dude is, is, uh, moving and shaking in terms of doing his own work and then passing, paying it forward. So, Thanks for listening, Sam. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. you. Yeah. Enjoy Peru. We'll, uh, we'll catch up on the flip side and everyone have a great rest of your day. Take care. That's it for this one. And I want to thank you for listening. Hey, if you got some good ideas from this episode and you want more, please feel free to subscribe to the podcast. And if you think others may benefit from it, also share it on social media and tag me in your post so I can say, Hey, It would also mean a lot to me if you felt inclined to write a review of the show on Apple Podcasts since I read every single one of them. And if you've got any questions or topics that you'd like to recommend or really just anything that you think I could improve upon, man, I thrive on constructive feedback. So hit me up with an email 
at podcast at johnnyking.com. Oh, and feel free to also subscribe to my YouTube channel, connect with me on LinkedIn, and follow me on Instagram at Johnny King and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Johnny King Men's Coach. Thanks again for joining me. I'll catch you next time.